0: Hello everybody and welcome to the Raw podcast. I'm your host for today, James Copley, joined by Phil Smith, fresh back from his holidays. How was it, Phil?
1: Very, very nice indeed, but obviously I am thrilled to be back doing the Raw podcast with you, James.
0: Did you get up to much?
1: Um, Yes, I did. I had a lovely break in Greece, which was very, very, very nice, and I had a rare successful day on the cricket pitch as well, so it was a good break for me. But, um, yeah, back to normality now.
0: Just as a complete aside, I'm trying to think of Greek Sunderland football players. Mavrias and Kyriagos are the only two I can think of off the top of your head.
1: Yes, they're the only two I can think of. Um, so, short yeah, list. Not, not being a happy hunting ground for Sunderland. Um, <laughs> who knows, maybe maybe Sunderland have got, got someone up their sleeve this summer.
0: Yes, it is officially silly season, Phil. The transfer window opened this morning. Sunderland have been linked with several deals, there's the Jack Clark question as well. What should we expect, Phil? Obviously, there's a long way to go in the transfer window. Things can change often and swiftly, as we know. Uh, but where does Sunderland stand at the moment?
1: Yeah, I think broadly speaking, we're expecting pretty much a continuation of, of what we've had from the last three or four windows, I think. Um, you know, and Kirill Louis-Dreyfus attended that um, um Q&A evening, however you want to call it, with the Red and White Army, I think it was back in November, he sort of said, we're still very much in the phase of investing in the squad. Um, that, almost that first stage, if you like. And he said he expected that to be the case, both through January and then through this summer window. And um, obviously we saw in January, January, Pierre Require arrived. And the first signing of the summer, um, Nectarios Triantis from Central Coast Mariners. I think that is the template. I think we're again, I think summoned their net spend, will be pretty high in the championship this season and the vast majority of it i think will be on young players um you know very similar to the last couple of windows um so I, I think it's fine fairly well known that joe bellingham is is likely to sign we think at some point in the next few weeks and i wouldn't be surprised if there's another if another few of that ilk um so yeah i don't think we're at a stage where we can expect to see a huge amount of change in someone's strategy and that includes player sales by the way I think at this point, I don't expect a great deal in the amount of player sales because I think these players' value is still growing.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so I think the kind of the, the evolution, if you like, is you get to a point where some of you the players that you've invested in reach peak value, you then sell them and you reinvest it, and you can potentially bring up the fees and the wages that you're spending then. Um, I don't think we're quite at that point yet. Um, so yeah, I think some of the fans can expect more of the same, and that's, of course, exciting because they've seen how successful some of these players have been. I suppose the one question is will Sunderland look to balance out that recruitment a little bit with maybe a bit more experience? Um, mm-hmm. You know, we saw when they got promoted from League One, how important the additions of Alex Pritchard um, Corey Evans, Danny Bart, were. might they look to do that in one or two positions this summer, they could also use the loan market to do that. Um, so I think broadly speaking, we know what to expect. Um, I think Sunderland will invest Um Will invest in their in their squad, but you know, when fees are involved, it'll likely be young players. So I think it's exciting for fans. Um, yeah, I suppose the question is is how much do they look to strike a bit more of a balance?
0: We'll move on to specific targets and transfer stories in a second, but I, I thought it was interesting you mentioned, Phil, the broader strategy at the club because Sunderland under Speakman are sort of earmarked as only targeting young players, aren't they? And they have, by and large, targeted a lot of young players, but when the right player comes up, e.g. a Corey Evans or an Eric, Alex Pritchard, someone who is over the age of 27, they aren't afraid to pull the trigger on that sort of deal?
1: No. I think the key is they're unlikely to spend any level of significant fee on those players. Yeah. I think the the model, if you like, we still haven't come up with a better word. Um, so we'll just have <laughs> to the stuff, we yeah, need sort of stuff, don't we? We need Sorry, everyone. But, you know, but, the, but the model isn't only to sign young players. The, the model is to invest in young players. So if you're spending a fee, that you have a realist, realistic chance of recouping that or um, getting significantly more in the future. It's absolutely not about... You know, One of the f- things that Christian Speakman looked at and spoke about when he very, very first arrived at the club was ensuring that across the squad you've got a balance of age ranges. So ideally you have a certain number of players in the, say, 17 to 22 category, a certain number of players who are in their sort of peak age category, Um, Someone like Luke 09 is a perfect example. I think Luke's 28 now, isn't he? Um, Knows his game, still improving, but has a level of experience. And then you have certain players in the slightly older category who are huge for running your dressing room, providing that um, sort of leadership for the younger players, if you like, both through example. Um, So my point being that they always look to have those level of players in those upper age groups as well. But what they're not going to do is is spend, you know, like I say, significant fees on those players. But as the squad evolves, um, mm. you know, they will need to replenish the players in that category, and we will see some of that this summer. And obviously, the other category that you have is almost like you're, um, you just have to do them deals. You know, if you look at the loan for Ahmad last season, well, you could look at it and say, well, their sort of right winger wasn't really a priority. And what's the long term benefit of Sunderland? Well, there isn't a huge amount. It's just a player who they believed was so good that he have an absolutely spectacular impact on the team in the short run. That's exactly what he did. So I think, you know, we, we we shouldn't get too I think as your question kind of alluded to, we shouldn't get too drawn into thinking that the model is you can only sign players of a certain age or experience. Um it's just about where the level of fees, that's where the, the key is. But I think something very mindful that you do need that balance, um, balance in your squad. And that's something to be mindful of. So we shouldn't we shouldn't be surprised if a thirty-year-old arrives at the club. Um, it's just we should be arrived if they should be surprised if they've spent six million on them, and that's the point that would um, be wondering what's happened. Um, so yeah, uh,
0: there are some of the criticism and some of the talk about this recruitment team sort of does amuse me in a way because you'll get critics and they're entitled to their opinion. Of course, they'll come and say, "Well, the club's model is to to buy young players on the cheap and then sell them at a massive profit." Um, but actually, they haven't sold anybody yet for for big money. They, they probably will at some point. Don't get me wrong, but we are yet to see that phase of of that transfer plan yet. So it's actually hard to judge what they're going to do in, in that circumstance. Yeah. We, we have a good idea, but to me, it doesn't seem like buy cheap, sell high for the for the the result of of you know making a profit. It doesn't seem like that way to me. To be honest,
1: I, I don't think it's about having a high turnover. And I think what, yeah, I, I kind of get where you're going with that. And we should definitely take some confidence that there is a level of financial stability yeah. whereby when the first multi-million pound bid for Jack Clark comes in, Jack Clark's off. Um, It's not that extreme and there isn't a requirement for it to be that extreme. You know, I know some um, people, you know, if if they missed it at the time, go back out and have a read when we studied and have listened to the latest accounts and um, some did lose money, but the, the trends were pretty encouraging. And I think if you are in a position where you have some stability, you would look at a Dan Neal, for example, who something probably could have sold in any of the last three or four windows. Is Dan Neal more valuable now than when he first broke into the team? Of course he is. Has he reached anything like his peak value? He most definitely hasn't. He's just had his first season in the championship and we've seen him evolve and grow um, within that. So where could he be in another year? Where could Jack Clark be in another year? So player sales are an absolutely inevitable part of the process. and I, And I do think, in a way, the the structure, the jury on someone's way of working will still be out until that happens. I don't think you'll ever get a complete sense of comfort and ease and confidence until someone's fancy that very very good player go out for a good fee, and another very very good player come in to replace them. I think until that happens, there'll be an inevitable and a totally understandable a, a sense of nervousness. Um, I don't think that's going to change, but I, I don't think we're at the point yet as I alluded to before, where these players have come close to reaching their, their value. you know Anthony Patterson, yeah, I'm sure someone could sell him for a decent fee now, but he's had one year in the championship.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I I I think we'll be at the, I I genuinely think this summer window will look um, quite similar to the last one, where we see a, a decent handful of players, young players come in for fees, um, very little in the way of departures. Maybe there'll be one, maybe someone will come in with a bid for one of the players that's just so good that, It makes business sense for them to take it. Um, But yeah, generally, I think the window will look much like the last one. I think we'll see a handful of these players arrive for fees and we'll see that supplemented by whether it be a a couple of loans or a couple of free agents who just add that bit of balance. I suppose what's exciting as well is, and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, is that, you know, Sunland have made pretty clear. Christian Speakman in his interview with the club, the in-house media interview did, didn't he, sort of said, you know, he didn't say if we don't get promoted next year, to failure. But he made very clear that they were mm. hoping to improve on what they did last year. That obviously requires a certain level of ability of player to come in, doesn't it? That's that's obvious. Um, so that's going to be an interesting... Yeah, Although I don't expect a huge amount of change in the strategy, it's going to be interesting to see how they try to actively improve the team from what was a pretty good starting point.
0: I feel like, though, Phil, whilst there isn't a change in the strategy necessarily, I feel like this window in particular the The wheels are moving a bit quicker, and I think that's probably a byproduct of Sunderland, knowing which division they're in. This recruitment team haven't been there quite a long time, you know. They're sort of solidifying scouting plans, and basically everyone's had a long time at the club now to get the feet under the table. It, it does feel like Speakman, Stuart Harvey, they are trying to be very proactive and get business done early. Which, to be fair, they've always stated that as they're in, but sometimes it just isn't practical.
1: Yeah, I mentioned the word stability before in a financial sense. This is stability in a structural sense, isn't it? Whereby you're able to plan two, three windows in the head. Mm-hmm. You know, when we started doing these pods um <laughs> back in the dark days, you know, that just wasn't just wasn't the way the club was set up and wasn't able to be set up because of ownership uncertainty, et cetera. And I think we are definitely seeing that. Now I was at a press conference, <coughs> excuse me, with Tony Mowbray just before the playoff semifinals, and the question was brought up about, you know, planning, where are some of that at? another summer where we have a playoff campaign next extended season. Mowbray's response was really interesting. And he sort of said, really, I have to focus on the team. I'm pretty sure Christian Speakman will be thinking about what happens if we go up. How will that change our budget? How will that change our targets? But what I do know, because I've been in on the meetings, is that we have a number of young players from all around the world who we think we can improve this team if we are in the championship. Um and I think what we're seeing now with the Triantis deal, potentially with the Bellingham deal, hopefully to follow, potentially with Luis Amado, we're seeing that the club were in a position where um, they expected they would probably be in the championship this season. They've been planning towards that eventuality for a good few months. Um, and it looks like they're in a good position to act. And I mean, even we talked about it at the time with a slightly critical edge and maybe rightly so because of the, some of the demands in the squad elsewhere. But it was pretty obvious, wasn't it, when Pierre equar came to the club that wasn't an impact signing for the next three months. That really was a signing for the season, wasn't it? Now, as yeah. it happened, he did come in and make a big impact towards the end of the season. Um, but yeah, I think we're seeing the the the, the, the fruits of stability, like in every sense, at the club. Um, and and yeah, I someone might point out that I'm completely wrong, but signing a player for a fee um, and being in a position to do so in the early stages of June that's not something that I remember someone being able to do particularly often. Um, and that's, I, I do, it's kind of exciting in a very boring way. Um, (laughs) it's exciting, you know, that you have a sort of steady functioning club. Um, of course, there's still a lot of questions to answer. And, Mm. um, in terms of building the squad, I think, you know, up front's the obvious one, isn't it? Where I still think there's a huge amount of work to do, et cetera, et cetera. But um, yeah, I'm pretty encouraged by, by where, where the clubs are. You kind of feel like, you know, there's going to be some exciting footballers arriving, yeah, um, and that isn't you know that is a nice place to be.
0: Indeed, did you hear that there?
1: Yes, I did. Yeah.
0: Oh, good, good I stuff. That, that was that was my mother ringing, but um, <laughs> she'll have to wait. Um, So we're going to drill down into specifics now, Phil, if you don't mind. The biggest transfer story in the world at the moment is Jude Bellingham going to Real Madrid, but uh, we have a a slice of that with Sunderland as well. There's obviously the speculation with Joe Bellingham, his younger brother, 17 years old. There's been multiple reports about different fees and whatnot. But my main takeaway at the moment, Phil, is that the player, from what I can sort of tell and and read, read it between the lines, is that the player is actually pretty convinced on coming.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, his attendance at the um you know at the semi final against Luton, I think, told its own story. This is a, a long pursuit that's been going on. Um it's not kind of an impulsive thing. I think it's been something that's been in the works for a long period of time. Is there anything to be concerned about that it hasn't happened yet? I don't think so. I think there's a myriad of factors. As we said at the start of this pod, the windows only just opened. Um Birmingham City have been going through a takeovers. I'm sure anyone who follows the championships aware. Um, Bellingham himself has been on England under-18s duty over the last week, alongside and we must give a massive shout out alongside Zach Johnson, mm. um, Sunderland Academy player who's been playing in the under-21s this year, who actually captained the side um, over the weekend. That's an amazing achievement um, amazing. and re- really exciting. Um, but back to my original point, you know, there's plenty of reasons why we haven't seen Bellingham sort of sign on the dotted line, and and with both teams back for pre-season over the next fortnight. Um, I, I would expect that to progress at this stage. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a really, it's going to be really interesting signing that one off the back of not signing Michoud. Um mm, I know we discussed mm. the mishu one at length. Um, you know, and mishu himself, I think subsequently, didn't he did an interview and he spoke about <laughs> how. Um, but I think it actually, do you know what? It, it comes across as both sides trying to make out like they were the reason that the signing didn't happen. But actually, if you put the two together, it's pretty, it obvious, what, it, pretty obvious what happened, wasn't it? Mishy wasn't totally sold on the contract he was being offered. The reason he wasn't sold on that contract was because someone weren't sure, sure about his role in the team and whether it warranted that level of funding. Mishy wasn't entirely sure about his tactical role. I get the impression he likes to be a little bit deeper, be that kind of mm-hmm. setting the tone of the game. Are someone 100% sure he's going to play that role? He always played as an eight. So I think you can see that actually... You know, if you go past the headline of "oh, it was my decision" or "oh, it was our decision," yeah, yeah. you actually see that it was something that just didn't mesh together, and there's no drama there. But I, I can't help but think that the Bellingham factor, you know, was absolutely a part of all of this equation. It'll be interesting to see, sort of, where he fits in um, when he does arrive. It's because the club have, have put seemingly, um, well, not seemingly, clearly, have put so much time and effort into doing this deal over a period of time. It's going to be really exciting and interesting to see see how he settles and you would think that centre midfield is an area where we're not far off now. Um mm-hmm. you would left. suggest I think you would have to say that I suppose it depends how they view Dan Neal is He's going to stay in that holding midfield role. But given that we know that realistically Corey Evans is not got much chance of being fit for the first two, three months of the season, yeah. I think you probably still do need some cover in that position. Yeah. Um but once you put in Barr, Pritchard, Embleton, um you know, those sort of, certainly those, you know, Jamie Tete who will have a chance in pre-season. Um, it feels like there's going to be pretty pretty plenty of options. I kind of feel like Tony Mowbray and Christian Spinkman, Stuart Harvey Sundland, I feel like there's always going to be a lot of, like, number eights. I, feel, I yeah. don't feel like we're ever yeah. going to be, like, getting to the start of the season by now. The,
0: are there enough little
1: playmakers in this squad? Oh, I'm not sure we could do with another playmaker or two. I think, I think we'll always be fairly well-stocked.
0: What are your thoughts on Daniel, actually, Phil? Because... I think he did well in the number six role, but I don't think it's his best position. Obviously, the number six role does come with a lot of time and experience to to really master that. It's it's not often you get like really natural number sixes. It, it does take time to develop in that role. But for me, I actually really liked it when he when he was breaking the lines and sort of getting forward and passing. I thought that was a really, really, really positive part of his game, and I'd, I'd like to see him develop that to be honest. Yeah, I think so. But I think I think.
1: I get, to be honest, I think he'll do both next year. That's my mm. honest assessment yeah. because we know, obviously, some of are really ambitious and they want to get promoted. And, you know, player development is an absolutely huge part of what they're trying to do. And part of player development is growing them, giving them different experiences. Um, and for Neil, moving forward, if he wants to go in the Premier League, whether it be for Sunderland or somebody else, you know, he, he you don't want to pigeonhole a player of that ability and talent at this early age. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw him do both roles next year. Um I agree with you. it would seem a shame not to have him in that position where he's trying to play those killer balls um and really joining up um I certainly think I like the idea of him getting a bit further forward and combining with a Pritchard or an emblem yeah. um, and I think mm. he can be really destructive, but
0: well his role his that, role in that red goal um yeah you know, exactly. away from home that that's a sort exactly. of I know that was more to the sort of right of midfield really, but that that's yeah. sort of the the type of play I envisage Neil doing yeah.
1: but I think that. Yeah, totally. But I think that you also have to, res- you just have to respect the level he played at at times towards the end of the season and, mm-hmm. in that position. And if mm-hmm. that frees you to play another two attacking and centre midfielders, um, that's pretty exciting for Tony Mowbray because you know Neil's always going to be able to handle the ball. So, yeah, to, I, I feel like I'm being very long winded today, but to get back to the original <laughs> point, I think maybe another cover and centre, mid- uh, hold a midfielder. Um, and then depending on what Metete happens with Matete, i don't think you're a million miles off in that position
0: you mentioned daniel uh, academy graduate zach johnson earlier on in the show really good news coming out of the club today that the uh, academy status had been retained didn't really expect anything different but again such a we've talked about it on this podcast loads of times but such a massive asset for sun and such a big catchment area we've seen the fruits um previously with Jordan Pickford, Jordan Henderson, but now you get the feeling that it's really been optimised, I think, the Academy now, and it's it's really starting to be viewed as, as as something that almost makes the club in a way, which beforehand I don't think it necessarily was. It was it was about staying in the Premier League, let's be honest.
1: Yeah, I think that I don't think it should be underestimated that because as far as I understand it, and from what I remember last year, um Sunderland were only awarded last summer their category one. On sort of a one-year basis rather than a three-year basis, oh, right, I so it it shouldn't be taken for granted that they've they've passed the audit successfully this time around. Hmm. I think, you know, again we go back to stability. I think you know Kevin Dreyfus spoke, didn't he, about how the club earlier this year finally concluded their off-field recruitment, you know, which was a process yep. of almost two years, and obviously Robin Nichols as the academy manager arriving from Southampton was a was a part of that. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a huge boost for the club. Um, again, you know, it's, it's, it's what we, sh- we should expect them to run a, a category one academy, we mm. should expect them to meet that standard. Um, but it's probably worth noting on because, you know, there was a time before this regime came in where yeah. it was very much up in the air and it's obviously taking some time to keep rebuilding from that point. So this is, it's huge. It's huge in terms of the advantages it gives you in recruitment. Um, it's still very, very difficult for someone to resist. When the big Premier League clubs come calling, the rules are stacked in favor if yeah, the top are. six, seven, eight clubs, and we should never forget that. But this gives Sunderland every chance, allied with the fact that they now have a first team structure where, you know, they 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 walk the walk; they don't just talk the talk with youth development. Um, no, absolutely. So I think that's massive, and that listen, if if if, and you know, I stress it, if Joe Bellingham signs, it's because of that. It's because of the combination of those two factors. Um, so yeah, exciting times. Yeah, like like I say, I know I mentioned it before, but I do feel like we should see how how cool it is to see Zach Johnson because that's yeah, yeah. what's someone are trying to do in action. They've they've pushed him above his age group for a couple of years now, um, and they're seeing the rewards of that. So yeah, it's re-
0: it's really 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 exciting times. I feel particularly in that aspect of the club. Indeed, uh, moving swiftly on, Phil we did touch upon it slightly earlier, but strikers, you would you would imagine I wrote on the Sunderland Echo website today, that if Sunderland are to achieve the stated aim of Speakman and Tri Hume, actually, in recent weeks, of challenging for promotion, pushing for promotion this season and in the seasons to come, if they don't manage to do it uh, in the next campaign, they will need uh, strikers. It's been uh, a hot topic of debate among Sunderland fans. There's been an, an element of really bad luck in there as well. Who could have predicted Ross Stewart's two injuries, the second of which came just before the deadline. Alice Sims was recalled uh, to Everton as well. Uh, but the fact remains, Phil, that the the last uh, senior first-team striker to sign on a permanent basis was Stuart back in, I think it was 2021. So that is most certainly an area that needs looking at. But the positive thing is is that from the report circling that Speakman and Stuart Harvey aiming to do business in that area pretty swiftly there's the Semedo links as well um, i'm sure there'll be more emerged but yeah you would think if someone to get promoted they'll need a need a couple of strikers
1: they will yeah i think yeah, the the strike the striking one's really interesting because a, a, a large amount of the criticism i think has been fair hmm. um but i think there's been a couple of factors in it and the one that i the thing that i always go back to when there's discussion almost is a trying to add another layer to it because I think the basic principle that Sunderland have been um, have not had enough players in that position over the last few windows is obvious and I think that's a totally fair observation and criticism. That is the position also where if you look at someone how someone want to develop the squad ideally you want a couple of kind of primary options in each position and then maybe a youngster who can push through and be that kind of third player, if you like, or that yeah. option where if you have a short-term injury crisis, they can come in. If not, they can affect the game from the bench. They can play in cup games. Now, obviously, I think the departures of Sam Greenwood and Joe Hugel um, mm. made it very difficult to do that because I think when... There's, as I think everyone knows, there was a huge gap in Sunderland's academy. Hopefully now we're beginning to see... That started, because of the catch-up period, I think that's starting to change. So players like Tom Watson, Chris Riggs, Zach Johnson, you're beginning to see those players come through now who can potentially be almost like half members of the first-team squad, if that makes sense. Um, and that can be really important. Some of them have lacked that striker um, who could be that option because of the, the sales that happened in previous years. And the reason I'm, what I'm getting around to is you're know, signing somebody like Semedo, um, mm. 19, 20 years old. Yes, you would expect him to get plenty of game time next season, but realistically, he's not going to start 46 championship games, isn't he? is not he? So I think that ticks a big box for me. Somebody who you can potentially bed in over a bit of time and hopefully in 18 months, two years, if he comes in on a long time, long-term contract, you then start to see him as someone who can be a real starter for you. So I think that would be a big box ticked. It's then above that where you need to kind of hang your hat on senior strikers, well, Ross Stewart, Maybe, possibly, but obviously there's the injury factor. We're hopeful be back to start yeah. of the season, you know, 100% sure. The contractual status makes it very difficult to, you know, what happens if someone comes, if he gets fit, starts the season well, and someone comes in on deadline day in August, and you don't think he's going to sign a contract. That becomes a very difficult decision. So mm-hmm. the point I'm making is that someone would have to sign two players in that position. And I think mm-hmm. you can completely accept if one of those is a younger, slightly more improving player. I think I can totally get that. Um, but you need someone of a bit more stature and experience as well, I think, to come in. Um, and it is the hardest part because they are by far the most expensive players to decide. Yeah. You know, there's there's a reason for that. I think we've seen, you know, Sunderland being very proactive and very successful in investing in other areas of the pitch. And also, when I say investing, I don't just mean fees. I also mean contracts. Mm. Your players like Daniel, their extensions, Traheim, etc. cetera. Um, but it's hardest to do that up front. And that is... You know, it, it sounds really boring because it just feels like we're having the same conversation again. But that is going to be the position and the topic that dominates, I think, both the this window and how people view it, respectively, as well.
0: Just off-piste here a little bit, but have you have you been following the the Bordeaux story in, in the second division in, in France?
1: Yes, vaguely. I am it's, aware it's, of what's happened, yeah. It's,
0: it's insane. I'll just recap it for any... Um, there is a point to this as well. This isn't just me coming in blindsiding, but um, so... Bordeaux, I think, had to better a result in their last game. I think it might have been Metz's result. Um, But they went 1-0 down. A fan then entered the pitch and caused a bit of a disturbance, pushed a player over. That player then had to be stretched off. So the game um, was suspended by the referee. The French FA have now awarded that game against Bordeaux's opponent. So that's consigned them to uh, another year in the French second division. This has a knock-on effect for Josh Madger. Had Bordeaux been promoted, Josh Madger would have had an option in his contract triggered for another year at Bordeaux. As it stands now, unless he signs a new deal, which is probably unlikely, um, he's going to be a free agent. Now, Josh Madger seems to provoke um, a varying range of opinions from Sunderland fans given the way he left and such like. But if it wasn't Josh Madger, Phil, and he hadn't already played for Sunderland and he hadn't already left, at 24, a promising striker, you would be having a look at them if you were Sutherland, wouldn't you?
1: Yeah, for sure. I would still it's, be having it's a, a look funny, at them now, yeah. Well,
0: me too, me too. But it, it seems to, that thought seems to irk a couple on social media. And yeah. I can understand like,
1: why. I, I kind of get it. I mean, I, I always go back to, you know, and there's a few different scenarios where I kind of, you know, lean on what Jack Ross said at the time, because whatever you, th- you, you know, might think of him as a manager, I rated him very highly, but I think he managed a lot of these situations really well. Mm. Um. In difficult yeah, circumstances as yeah, well. Yeah, and, and I always remember going back to what you said about Josh, which was there are some aspects of his departure um, that I think he would do differently, but he was a kid at the time. Um, and, you know, And you have to allow young players and young people to make mistakes. That's life. Um, but also what I think four or five years on, is you have a lot more of the context around the way the club was run in <laughs> those days and why a young player might leave to go to, at the time, the top tier of French football. Yeah. Um so I think we have a lot more context about that and I would hope a bit more balance about how that scenario played out. Um yeah, is listen, it's it's incredibly hypothetical, isn't it? But you know, if you're looking at a, a summer where you need to add two potentially three strikers, um, you know, why wouldn't you be interested in a
0: mm.
1: um twenty four year old with a decent goal scoring record who has experience yeah. in the division? Um but I have I have no idea what Josh's plans are. Um I know he was there was talk of significant interest from Rangers, wasn't there, earlier this summer, whether that's the case wants, or not, I don't yeah. know. Um but yeah. It, it, yeah, it would be really interesting to see where he um where he ends up if you are asking me a ridiculous hypothetical question about whether I would have him <laughs> back, which I suspect you are. Um yeah headlines, Philip. We want we want headlines. Get, I'll give you a nibble. Yes, I would. <laughs> I would take him back.
0: Yeah, I would too. Um he has struggled with injury since he he left Sunderland. He's been a bit stop starty I find this notion people often criticise Major and say, well, he's done nothing since he left. He, he has contributed for for Bordeaux in the in the you know the French top league, um, which is quite impressive. He had a decent enough loan spell at Fulham, got three and fifteen in the Premier League. They did get relegated, but he looked okay there. And then he struggled at Stoke. But there's not. Yeah, there's not many who have gone to Stoke in the last five years and, and really set the world alight. Yeah. Uh, to, to be yeah. honest, but that that could be. Jack, to
1: Jack Clark went on loan to Stoke in January and struck. Exactly. You know, it's, exactly. loans Roberts, uh,
0: Norwich and stuff like that. Yeah. It's
1: hard. It's J- tough. January loans nine nine times out of ten are a complete waste of time. um <laughs> And that's part. And let's be brutally. I I say that for a reason. One of the things that Sunderland's recruitment team have done very well is they've detached themselves. Mm. You know, they've judged the player on where they think they can get to. Yeah. Um, rather than saying, "Oh well, he had a bad loan at, there. He had a bad loan there." Um, yeah, we're getting bizarrely
0: we are. way it's great down to
1: with Josh Madger, uh,
0: I'm enjoying yeah. it. It's good. Josh Madger deep they, dive is what everybody needs.
1: Well, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> people can tweet us and let us know whether they enjoyed this or whether they were absolutely baffled, um, and then uh, guide our future future pod schedules.
0: Yeah. Um, very quickly, the 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 one outgoing transfer story at the moment, although it has. Quieting down A touch is Jack Clark. Uh, we have mentioned him a couple of times in previous podcasts, but for me, Phil, no real uh, need to sell. I've, as we've mentioned, Sunderland are in a fairly good position uh, in terms of their own finances and the contract they've actually got Clark too, which is 2026, uh, given that he only signed on a permanent deal uh, last summer after his loan. It could well be one that develops over the window. He could well leave, but as I said to Joe on the previous podcast, I get the feeling that if he did go, it would be for the sort of fee that we all turned around and went, right, okay, that's fair enough, as long as it gets invested back into the squad.
1: Yeah, for sure. Clark really likes it here, really appreciates the fact that he's playing every week, given you know the, what he went through for the two, three years before he arrived, aren't under any financial pressure to sell. Contractually, they're in an amazing position with him. Um, you know, I think Clark, like I say, like you say, sorry, Clark only goes, I think, unless it's the kind of fee where we all sort of whistle and go, Wow. Um, and if that's the case, fair play because someone will have turned a spectacular profit in 18 months on a player. Um, is it probably worth
0: worth noting, though, Phil, that the there might be a a Tottenham clause in there as well, in terms of a percentage of any profit or whatever.
1: Yeah, they're, they're absolute. They're absolute years that would. Um, yeah, and that and that's also why you know some of the fees that have been touted. You have to factor that in as well. Why someone mm-hmm. might balk at those fees because well, se- seven seven, because, mil- seven
0: million seven yeah. million even if there wasn't a um, or yeah. seven to nine million even if there wasn't a percentage is, is laughable. I've yeah,
1: been. yeah, it's you. You're looking at double that, aren't you? I think sometimes when when we're close to a club and we see things in a certain way, it's very easy to overvalue players as well and say, "Well, he's worth, um but. I agree with you. We're talking double that minimum, and then maybe we can start to sweat a bit. But at this stage, <laughs> sitting here right now, it's it's. Um, I I don't see that as a huge concern at this stage. Um, <laughs> whether it is the transfer window,
0: Stranger Things, and all that. You can tell you've been doing this a while. A while, Phil. That you prefix everything with at this stage. Yeah, but but listen, like I, I've, <laughs> I've covered
1: so you know I have been doing this quite a long time, and it's true that what is true, it's. 1:35 on Wednesday the 14th of June can stop being true at 1:38. You know? Oh God, don't um, we know
0: it? Don't we know so, it? <laughs> you know, it's,
1: and I think, yeah, and I think that's the context for people listening as well as you know we've seen so many things where it changes like that. Um, yeah. But at this stage, yeah, I'm pretty, I'm, fair, I would say I'm very hopeful that Clark will be in that starting eleven on the first day of the season and beyond.
0: Indeed, well, we'll probably wrap it up there, Phil. You can follow all of the latest transfer news over at the Sunderland Echo website. We'll endeavor to cover everything for you. You can, of course, subscribe to the podcast as well if you'd like, and if you please like, share, retweet, all of that sort of stuff helps with the algorithms. And yeah, once again, thank you very much for listening.